Canuck Central Tuesday draft week continues here on your home of the Canuck Sportsnet 650. We are a presentation of your local Gravato entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at Gripato.ca today. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Fun show today. We're going to do a mock draft in hour two, at least through the first 15 picks. Close it out with the Canucks pick. Lauren Kelly will join us. Her take on the draft and a mailbag. So if you got some questions, send them over 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. As Satyar Shah is uh, just finishing up jousting with New Jersey Devils Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's been a very uh, eventful, uh, what, 20 hours? Yeah. You know so? what's better than uh, the last UFC card? What? Sat fighting with New Jersey <laughs> Devils Twitter. <laughs> it's been fun. I mean, I- I'm just I'm just really surprised at how angry they are. They are very angry. I mean, and the thing is, they're like, you guys are clickbaiting, you guys are doing this and that, and, and you're, not journali- you're not journalists, and I'm like, all we did was share a link. <laughs> Frank Valley was on yesterday. Yes. We asked him about mm-hmm. JT Miller. He said New Jersey's interested. You asked, what would they offer? The second overall pick, Brad, could that be in play? He said yes. Who We're are like, both on his trade bait list. Right? He said yes, they potentially could be in play. We're like, that's noteworthy. But what did I say? I'm like, I still don't see the fit. Like, I still don't see the fit or whatever. We post the audio and New Jersey is just burning down. You'd think a fan base called the Devils yeah. would handle some heat. They'd have a little bit more, uh, you know, <laughs> cojones. They'd be, able to, they'd be able to handle some of that. They, are, they were very angry. V- very angry. I'm still getting uh, stuff in my, uh, my mentions today. It's pretty funny. About got, that. Got a good kick out of it. Uh, you should listen back. Uh, if you haven't, subscribe to the Canuck Central podcast. Always giving you inside info. What's going on behind the scenes. We'll have exclusive interviews. Yesterday we had Jeremy Colleton, the new AHL head coach. So you can check that out as well. Subscribe, leave a review. We do very much appreciate it. It's a week where there's a lot of things happening, Sat. What is going to be the next thing to happen for the Vancouver Canucks and what could potentially be a summer of change with Patrick Alvine in his first summer at the helm? And today, there's been a lot of chatter about Bo Horvat. It yeah. started with 32 Thoughts, the podcast, Elliot Friedman saying he's fairly certain that something will be able to get done with Horvat in terms of an extension this summer with the Vancouver Canucks. Rick Dollywall then advanced that story today on Donnie and Dolly. He said the number could be at seven and a half. There's a lot of movement around Bo Horvat in a positive direction towards him staying with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and that's kind of been the sense for a long time. And I'm not disputing any of that reporting. It just seems so so straightforward and easy. Maybe too easy. You yeah. know, and that's why I always that's why I have a little bit of pause and I'm not ready to say 100% he's coming back. And again, I'm not disputing any of the reporting cuz hey, go back 4 or 5 months. I heard the same thing. I mentioned this on the show. There's a sense that Bo wants to play ball. These guys want to keep Bo. They feel like they can work at a long-term deal. That's when I also heard that, hey, if they want, there's a three-year deal to be had with Besser. It's about making it happen if you really want it to happen. Yeah. So this has been the sense for a long time. So putting those two together, you can just say, yeah, they're probably going to sign him to a long-term deal. But it just seems way too easy for me. Because 7.5... It's a lot of money. It is. Now, on the one hand, what was Besser's qualifying offer? Seven and a half. Where did they meet? Uh, right in the middle, pretty much. Just under the middle. It, is that not going to be the case with yep. Bo too? So, I mean, 
Listen, I, I, would, I would not sign Bo to a contract worth 7.5. Hell, I wouldn't sign Bo to a contract worth 7. And I wouldn't sign Bo to a contract longer than 6 years. 7 years, no way. 8 years, no chance in hell. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to sign him until he's 36. If you're worried about, about JT until he's you know 36, why would I sign Bo until he's 36 when Bo is not the same level of player JT is? Plus, you're paying him a lot of money. I just can't see this organization paying him seven million per year or giving him a contract, you know, beyond six years. I just don't see it. It's, I, I've said this all all along. If you're going to go eight years with Bo, there has to be a significant discount on the average annual value. That's the one piece the Canucks have that other teams will not in this negotiation. It allows them to get more total money on the deal at a potentially lower average annual value. And that should ultimately be the case if you are willing to go eight years. And that is very much a doubt. Yeah, I mean, so... Is, would you be willing to go eight years with Bo and not JT? You know, it's no. I mean, I, I just I wouldn't do it. I just I don't, yeah. I don't I don't I don't know if this team is willing to do it. I don't think so. I'm not reporting anything on what they're willing to offer Bo or what they're not willing to offer Bo. Yeah. But I just have a hard time seeing them paying him seven million or more or giving him that type of contract. Now, would Bo take a contract worth say roughly forty million over six years, which is around six point seven six point seven five million per year, slightly more than. Than Besser, or maybe somewhere just slightly below forty and yeah. six and a half million per season. Like what, we, what you're talking about here is, um, somewhere between thirty nine to forty one million. Where where I think I can see Vancouver going. That's the kind of range I can see. I don't see beyond it. And it doesn't make any sense beyond it. I don't even feel comfortable with... Thir- to, to be honest, Dan, you know this. People who are listening to this show know I'm not the biggest Bo fan when it comes to giving him big money. I've made it very clear who I prefer between him and JT and all those sort of things. But realistically, this team, if they're trying to sign him, they're going to have to pay him $6 million per year. Yeah, I, It's not about what I would do. It's about what this team would do. But the range is kind of in that $39, $41 million total, total money range. I don't see it being above that. I just don't. Horvat is truly in his right to, uh, if he thinks he can get more on the market, uh, go, go ahead. Go find it. You just scored 31 goals. Um, you're going to have to play out this next year and see if you can find that number somewhere else. But my thing with Bo, he does so much for this team. Plays in a lot of different situations. We saw him play more on the penalty kill towards the end of this year. That was a big development for him. I felt, and we talked about this through the course of the season, he won his matchups more often. Played better defensively, but the numbers weren't there. And then when the offense started to come around, maybe the defensive numbers started to dip a little bit again. So there has to be a balance there with Bo Horvat. There has to be a realization that He is a second-line center, and you have to have a number of what that's worth and also understand that probably towards the end of this deal, it's going to be a progression where Bo ends up as your third-line center. You have to take all of those things into account, and just because he's your captain, just because he's kind of the de facto face of the franchise right now doesn't mean you should stretch yourself to be able to keep him when you are holding a hard line with everybody else on this roster. Yeah. Oh, and it, it's it's going to be tough for Bo. Like, if Bo wants to drive a hard bargain, 
he it's not hard for him to get to free agency next year and get seven million seven million per season. Again, the Kevin Hayes contract, you know, there's there's a lot of examples of centermen getting big money on the open market. So it comes down to how much Bo wants to play ball. He wants to stay here. It's very clear. You know, so, so I, th- I I think for as much as you're hearing the seven point five million figure, I just don't see it being that. I just don't. I I think it's going to come in somewhere around Besser money. You know, and because you're going longer term, you're signing him until he's thirty four, and he hasn't been as productive as Besser. Mm-hmm. But he's the captain. He's a center, a bit different profile. So there are some ways you can argue. But I can see it. I mean, if if the Canucks drive a good bargain, six and a half million per season. You're paying him only $6 million total more than what he was getting on his last contract, but it is a raise. You're paying him until he's 34 years old. How badly does he want to be the captain? How badly does he want to stay? That's the way I would approach it. Yeah. How badly do you want to be a Canuck? And the Canucks have to drive this hard bargain, okay? We've seen too much of the same thing, and this goes back to what I said yesterday. This core has proven that it's not good enough. It's not close to being a contender, and a lot of these players, if they want to remain Canucks, yeah, you're good players, but we have to sign you at numbers that will allow us to be able to do other things on this roster to yeah. get to where we want to go. You want to win? Well, you're going to have to take a little bit of a haircut from where your market value actually is. No, and, and look, look at the team the way it's built out, too, right? And we've talked about this before. If you take JT Miller off the power play, yeah, that's a massive player you're taking off that PP. Like he's He is really the guy that runs the power play. Quinn is the quarterback on the top, but because his shot isn't this massive threat— Everything really ultimately runs through JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Who does JT Miller pass the puck to the most for goals? Uh, Bo Horvat in the bumper spot. You take him out. Yep. That does impact Bo's uh, production potentially, depending on who can fill that role, how you play Bo, and all those sort of things. So what I'm at, what I'm saying here is, when you look at how these guys come by their points, you take players off, and how much you're paying this guy off the season he's coming off. You have to be very careful about how much you're committing here. You know because. I just don't like the idea of this super long-term contract for him. I don't think it's going to age well. That's why. And I just don't see it getting into that $7 million range. Horvat, uh, 13 of his 31 goals this year came on the power play. Seven in the season prior. In the season prior to that, 12 of his 22 goals came on the power play. You're looking at almost 50% of his goals over the last three seasons coming with the man advantage. Yeah. Hey, it's good to have a player that can score on the power play consistently because that's something that usually ages well and translates well. Yes. But you're paying him to be your second-line center. And here's the other question. If you'd lock yourself in to Bo as your second-line center, what is the ceiling of your team if you lock it into this core? Yeah. We've talked about this. and It's not good enough. And now, that doesn't mean you can't find other ways to clear money. Hey, maybe we'll get to Myers. Maybe you move Myers. Maybe you move somebody else. Maybe you hit on a draft pick. Maybe you do something else creatively. And next thing you know, hey, we found a way to get better. But it's harder to do. It's very hard to do. Uh, a lot of numbers coming in on uh, on Twitter. I posed the question to uh, Canuck Central listeners there. 8 by 7 coming in from Jordan in Saskatoon. Top G, 7 by 7 So there are a certain amount of Canucks fans that are willing to go that extra mile with Bo Horvat. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Reg says, you know, how how do you think you're paying Brock Besser money and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. And, hey, it's a fair point to make, but the reality is... the to- Like, you're selling Bo on the total money rather than the, at, like, the it's a, yearly number. So what is Besser coming away with? Just under $20 million? Just under 20 You're talking about $40 million. So you're talking about twice the amount of money. Yep. That Horvat is banking. And again... Uh, 
you want to remain a Canuck. You want to see this team win here. You've been part of this project for your entire career. Yeah. You want to you know, fall in the same line of the Sedins and, and guys that played every single game as a Vancouver Canuck for their career. Well, you're going to have to make some sacrifices just like they yeah. did leaving some money on the table. Yeah, and if you can't get that with, with Miller, who's going to give you the discount? So you have to get a discount somewhere, yeah. you know, and, and to be honest, I, th- I think if, with Bo, that discount is possible if they want to do it. And it seems like that's what they want to do. Again, we'll fi- we'll ultimately see it, but yeah. every indication from the organization has been, we want to get this done. One thing that I find interesting about this, we'll get to, to Miller and Myers as well here uh, in this first segment, but when we hear things coming out from the team, right? We talked about it yesterday. Elliot mentioned it on 32. They're looking for a uh, sandpaper type player. Uh, as Elliot called it, a Miller Lite. Uh, where, you know, you get some skill, you get some yeah. grit. All of those things, you were big on this yesterday in our discussion on it as well. Why, why, why trade Horvat then? Why not trade Horvat and keep Miller? I mean, it, it's okay. Miller's going to cost you a little bit more, but he's the player you're going to have to go out and find a way to replace. It's very difficult to replace to find those high end, hard yeah. skill type players. It, you know, ultimately with Miller, it just simply comes down to will he accept something team friendly? Yeah. You know, like we're talking about Bo accepting something team friendly for it to work here long term. Yeah. That's what Miller has to do. You know, you're, we're talking 40 million or so total money f- for Bo. He's going to have to accept something along those lines for it to work here. At least that's the way I would approach it. For Miller, I've thrown the number out. He wants north of $50 million. You come close to that, though, 48 50 or maybe even 47 or so, in that ballpark range, you make the player think. Yeah. And if he accepts something along those lines and you feel like, hey, we just gave him the Quinn Hughes contract, essentially 7.85 over the next six, we can work with that. We can live with that. But if we're talking about anything above that, we'd rather move that player, sign Bodo team friendly contract, and go out and find Miller Light, essentially. Yeah. This is what, what is getting me about this is because a lot of what it sounds like the Canucks want, they'd be trading away with Miller, and that's why it doesn't always add up. But as we know, they're trying. You said it yesterday. They're going to really take. Maybe their last stab at it here in the lead up to the draft. Things I'm hearing today is there's some really good offers on the table for JT Miller right now. And of course there would be. We're getting close to the draft. We're at Mm -hmm. that time of year. And there are some really enticing offers for JT Miller. So does that mean if talks don't go the way the Canucks hope they will, that he'll be traded by the draft? I don't think necessarily that's the case. But... There's some really good offers on the table for JT Miller, and we'll see if that entices the Canucks to make that move yeah. in the next little while. I think, like like any player, there's a price that you trade him for, regardless of your desire to keep him, because it just might be too tempting to do it. You know, the question is, are they really going to get that offer, and how high has they have they set the price? The price they're asking is super high. It has been. It always has been high. The question, it be. It, yeah, the question has always come down to: Do they get to a point where they're willing to accept a bit less than what they ideally want because they know they're not going to be able to keep them? Have they hit that point? You know, because right. I don't think they've been, they haven't gotten an offer yet where they're like, "Man, I know we want to keep JT, but we got to do this." That hasn't happened. Clearly, you know, it's, it's obvious. But 
once this, this next day or so goes by, and I mentioned this yesterday, that they're taking a real run at it. They're going to be talking to Miller, and that's what the reporting today was, that they're trying to see if they can make it happen. And we're, we'll see where that goes. But that's going to really be the point where they look at it and say, okay, we're not going to get what we really want, but we'll take this package, yeah. which is going to be more than what they were offered by the Rangers at the deadline. At least that's the way they're seeing it. At this point, it might be a waiting game for who does take that next biggest step or who does go maybe a little bit of an extra mile to get the Miller deal done because there's several teams there, right? There's several teams that want them. It's not just the Rangers and the Capitals. I think there's more. And it's a st- it's really just about how do they get what they want and does it fill their needs and really hit as a home run type of deal because that is exactly what this team needs. The two pressure points here, I think, are the draft and then when you get to the tampering period and teams start to realize maybe the free agent that they were targeting maybe isn't going to end up in their back pocket. So I think that's why the next week or so is is big. And as, we always, as we've always known, it's a big spot for JT Miller. The other one is Tyler Myers. And we've talked about it a ton. There is a lot of discussion around Tyler Myers. Here in this market, Sat, yeah. a lot of fans seem to think that you couldn't get rid of Tyler Myers even if you attached a first-round pick to him. You've been saying for a while that that is not the case, and we're starting to see that play out in the rumor mill. Yeah, because one of the things that we've talked so much about is the Canucks want something of value for Tyler Myers to move him. Yeah. They're not willing to just give him... Not only are they um, not willing to attach a draft pick to him, they're not just willing to give him up for nothing. Mm-hmm. They feel like he he's an asset because of what he brings to the team. And you know what? Let's play this clip here uh, coming up in a second from what Elliot Friedman had to say when he was on with Donnie and Dolly, uh, the team today, when talking about the Vancouver Canucks situation. And this kind of outlines what we've talked so much about, about why the Canucks value Myers in their view and this is how Friedman summed up the Meyer situation. Well, first of all, the one thing I would say is that he plays he's played really hard for you guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like that that Agreed. like that that's a guy who uh, like has shown to me he's got a lot of pride to wear the uniform. Um, what I've heard is that Vancouver's got a price out there and if you're willing to pay it, pay it, they'll talk to you about it. That's mm-hmm. what I've heard. There is Elliot Friedman on Tyler Myers. Yeah, and it's one of those things that he's taken a lot of pride in being a Canuck. Brad Shaw talked to us about that at the end of the season. We spoke to him, and now obviously he's on his way to uh, be, be a associate coach with Torts in Philly. But he mentioned that Myers is a guy that is a super professional, big-time leader, works super hard, and plays hard, and really cares. And those things do matter. And when you're looking at a team that is talking about building culture, and they want more of those things... So if you're taking him out of the roster, to them, that's something of value. If, if you're talking about, we want these characteristics and players, we want this identity, yeah. and then you're taking a guy out who has those characteristics, that's a loss in their estimation. That's why they didn't want to trade Shen. Very similar in how he is like Myers. So you want to hold on to one of those guys. At least that's the way they want to approach it. But Myers, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I has, I've talked to people who've told me they think he could have Nate Schmidt-type value. 
Yeah. And that's a third or fourth round pick. Yeah. Someone takes takes a contract off your hands. Maybe for Myers, you have to retain a slight amount of money, a million, maybe less, something very small. Maybe you have to do that. But that's kind of the market value. So Vancouver has set a price. What do you think that price is, Dan? I would have to imagine a second round pick. That would be my guess too. They traded Travis Hamannick for a third. Yeah. So they're probably asking for a second, maybe something else like a B prospect or yeah. you know another minor piece or something along that. But I would say roughly, probably second is what they're asking for. They don't have a second in the draft. Can they get one for Myers ahead of Thursday? Yeah. I think it's entirely possible that there are some teams out there that have interest in Tyler Myers. And the way I look at it is you've got Chris Letang, who as is being reported in Pittsburgh today, looks like he's going to re-up there with the Penguins. But beyond that, it's John Klingberg as the number one unrestricted free agent for right-shot defenseman. Kind of like Ryan McDonough, if you can offer a team Tyler Myers for a low cost, and he's only two years, Mm -hmm. there might be a team out there that says, you know what, we could take this for two years, and this guy's going to help us for two seasons. Even at this number, we'll probably end up seeing the Canucks either retain some money or some level of player, a million, million and a half bucks, whatever it is to kind of even out the dollars a little bit. But I I don't see why there wouldn't be some teams interested in Tyler Myers. GMs don't look at the player cards on Twitter that say Tyler Myers is the worst defenseman on the planet and say, I'm never yeah. acquiring that. Well, and, and even, and let's also be fair, even analytically, I'm not going to sit here and make the argument that analytically he's been a top four defenseman. He hasn't been. But even those, you know, profiles, they have him as a legitimate, like, number five defenseman. Yeah. You know, they have him valued as. A guy who's an everyday player, maybe third pair, can play up a little bit, probably contractually should be worth somewhere around $3 million. That's how the analytics community looks at him. Two and a half to $3 million is what he should get paid. But they're not saying he's a replacement-level player. Yeah. They're not saying he's a $1 million player. They're not saying he's a guy who shouldn't be in the league and he's horrible. But I actually say, considering the minutes he plays and the role that he plays... The competition he goes against... Not everybody who's a third pair defenseman can do the same thing Myers is doing in that same role. I'd say he's on the, like when it comes to passable top four defensemen in the league, he's on the lower end. Absolutely, yeah. But that doesn't mean he can't fill those minutes at least to a level where you feel like you're you're making a push. And if you're getting a push for a guy who's playing top four minutes, it's not great, but you can survive. And hey, how many guys have we seen in Vancouver over the years that were bleeding you playing top four minutes? Yeah, there were negative values. You know, Myers had a negative value year. During the pandemic year where there are no fans in the building, everybody did. But that was a negative value yep. year for him. The year before was a positive value year for him. This season, arguably, it was a push. It's not great, but what I'm saying is how many guys... Go look around the league and look around teams that are playing guys in top four roles that are performing worse than Myers. Yeah. That's the point. It's, he's not great, but there is a market to move him. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. So a little bit of a tidbit, tidbits first segment there. For you on what's happening, what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks this week. You can keep sending in your texts. If you have questions about the draft or about where the Canucks go over the next couple of weeks, we are doing a special mailbag draft week, special draft week mailbag edition uh, coming up after 5 o'clock. So get questions in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll take some more. Sats also put out the question on Twitter, at Satyar Shah, so you can add in your replies to that as well. 
It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You're listening to Canuck Central. Canuck Central is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot going on in our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Those listening live mm-hmm. are fired up Oh yeah, for the mailbag, which is coming later today, a mock draft, which is coming in the second hour of the show, mm-hmm. first 15 picks of the draft at least, and also the discussions around Bo Horvat, JT Miller, and Tyler Myers. Yeah, and uh, I get it. Like, Rager, as always, defending Bo and saying that uh, we're being a bit too harsh. Bill and New West echoing that sentiment and saying it's bizarre how a lot of the hosts at 650 are so critical of Bo Horvat, where the hockey world is so high on Bo Horvat. And hey, I've always said it's fair for you, for you to have an opinion. And I'm not even saying don't hold on to Bo. What I'm saying is there's a real price that I would set and I wouldn't go above. Because I look at the same thing, the same calculus we have with JT. Like, I'm not even sitting here and saying give JT seven years or eight years yeah. or pay him north of 60 million. There's a number I don't go to. I've been saying it forever. I don't pay him eight million per year, for instance, you know, on a six or seven year deal. So, everybody in my estimation has a price. But for a guy like Bo, I think you have to be careful with how big the money is. If it's in the sixes, it makes sense. But for a guy who's not a penalty killer and doesn't create offense on his own, despite the fact being a good goal scorer, but it doesn't generate a lot of offense for his line mates and stuff like that. If you're paying too much money, I don't think you're getting the right type of return. I don't think he's going to be able to live up to that contract. That's the point I'm making here. It's not even about being like, you know, Bo is a horrible player or whatever. Sometimes I can get passionate about it and I can, yeah. you know, I can really get after Bo a little bit when it comes to some of those things. But ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It's one of those things like, okay, what's true the Canucks need more good players, right? That's yeah. how they get back to the playoffs. At the same time, how many years have we been here now with Bo as one of your prominent core players, and the team just hasn't been good enough, hasn't been close to good enough? Now, it's not that it's Bo's fault, necessarily. A lot of the depth has been an issue, and Bo has performed well individually. But at some point, you have to understand that there's a number that makes sense, and there's numbers that don't because ultimately what has been going on here just yeah. quite frankly has not been good enough. Yeah, it's true. But I would say it's hard to blame, you know, Rager makes a good point too. Like it's hard to blame Bo for the roster also not being good enough for, for a long spell. To me, it's it's simply more about what are you getting out of the individual player for the money. Yeah. You know, that's what it comes to. To me, that's my calculus. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest, Vancouver Hockey Now. It is Rob Simpson. Thanks for this, Rob. Uh, We've been discussing what Bo Horvat's next contract should look like since there's much speculation (laughs) that uh, one will get done. What do you think uh, is the right number to keep Bo around Vancouver? I think, I think it gets done. I don't think he gets the type of increase that you give a, you know, a spectacular score or something that JT mm-hmm. Miller would expect, even at his advanced age. But what is he in the five and a halfs range? So yeah. maybe keep your captain around for the six and a halfs or somewhere in that ballpark. I don't mm-hmm. know what he's got the year left. And, uh, it's, it's funny just picking up you guys there at the end, listening to you before hopping on. I mean, we could literally go through every guy on the roster and, and you know, kind of substantiate why they sh- don't deserve to be here and why they do deserve to be here. Yeah. He'll probably make more money than that. 
Um, that's a, kind of a base figure, depending on what the cap looks like for them moving forward. But, I mean, you can't get rid of all of your leadership. You can't get all rid of all of your veteran savvy. I mean, I just posted a story, and I had Tanner Pearson as one of my five most likely Vancouver Canucks to be traded, just based on kind of a vanilla performance, you know, a, a toss in a mm-hmm. 3.5 or $3.2 million salary cap hit somewhere. And things are getting pretty stacked up on the lap, left side, fellas. Uh, weak yeah. right side, pretty stacked up on the left side, especially when you add Kuzmenko. Yeah, it certainly is, right? And, you know, something's going to have to give somewhere. And ultimately, with Bo, I, I think that range you, you mentioned, $6.5 million per year, is probably the number that he ends up signing for. The question is, does he get seven or eight years? Because I think for this management team, too, what we're looking to see is, can they get players to take a little bit less? Can you get more favorable contracts? Because as much as 6.5 is a good cap hit, I'm not sure it's a good deal for Vancouver if it goes seven or eight years. Are they able to keep it to six years, you think, ultimately? I think they would because I think kind of how Brock Besser took three years to get to unrestricted free agency and took a cut off his seven and a half qualifying offer. I think Bo Horvat would be open to listening to do things that would be for the betterment of the hockey club uh, if it was a five or six year deal. He, t- You know, it, it took a while for him to grow on me. I watched him the first half of this past season and I wasn't always crazy about the performance. I gave him grief about going to talk to Mark Andre Fleury during a TV timeout. I go, what, what are we doing? We're talking to the we're skating over and talking to the opposing goalie during a TV timeout. Give me a break. And he actually did it twice. So uh, after the coaching change, he kind of he cleaned that up, and and um, I thought his game improved dramatically under Boudreau. I thought his leadership. I thought his kind of balls to the walls mentality improved. I thought he was really gutsy towards the end. He scored some big goals. So. Um, I think he turned in a pretty nice performance and it, and it crescendoed as the season went on. Really unfortunate that he took the shot off the ankle or off the foot at the end of the season. You know, it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, there's been a lot of um, discussion about how the, the new front office would like to see, um, you know, the practice habits improve and, and, and the culture around the dressing room, the, these types of things. Look, it doesn't all fall on Bo's feet and his shoulders, but he is he is the captain, and, and that has to be yep. part of it, just uh, kind of like what you mentioned with the Marc-Andre Fleury moment. Yeah, but it, it has to it has to be leadership by committee, mm-hmm. right? And, here, and here's a 27-year-old guy who was on a team that was unhappy. Um, second home game of the season, I might have mentioned this to you guys a month ago when I was on about the fact I said to somebody in the press box, these guys don't like their coach, do they? And they're like, oh no, things are fine with Greener. I'm like, not from what I'm watching, because at one point Horvat was making kind of those sometimes when he gets kind of pissed off, pissy uh, JT Miller type passes to nowhere. And I was like, this doesn't, these guys just don't look like they're really in sync. They don't look like it's working and it wasn't a shock by the result that we ended up with on December 4th and December 6th, bringing in Gabby. So, I mean, I think it's situational. His leadership and his performance was there when the entire rest of the team's performance was there. And you really don't, again, like we said off the top, I mean, how many older veterans you, you want to get younger they want to be 25 ish mid 20s but you need to have some guys around if you're going to win you need some leadership in the dressing room and hopefully bull horvat not by himself but would provide some of that kind of by committee 
Well, yeah, absolutely. And y- y- the the question really does the biggest question ultimately, you know, is JT Miller and what happens there. And I know Rob, you've been on the story, and you know, I think everybody's really been on the story for JT and, and trying to figure out where it kind of ends up. And you know, no secret, they're really trying to make a push now to keep him. Ultimately, what's your sense of, on what happens with JT and the Canucks? Well, the one thing I picked up it was rather obvious, but also based on his body language while he listened to the questions was Patrick Alvin because he was asked twice about it and his answer was the same both times. You know, he's under contract. We'll wait and see We're, there's no rush. Um, and this is one of the big articles I just wrote over the weekend about how, you know, it, it's almost like the same mentality of not giving Boudreaux an extension until he gets to coach a full season. I don't think this, brain trust is over anxious to give this guy eight or nine million dollars for the long term too far in advance without especially for a 29 going on 30 year old in the month of march uh forward i I, you start to kind of lean the other way And, and as i put it today a they're just waiting to see like that or b they're moving them I mean, those those are really the two options. They're they're not signing them in the next two days, fellas. They're 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 either trading them or he's just going to, you know, ride through this summer and all that good stuff. So, uh, I think it's it's one of those. I think they're going to hang on for a little while, or or, or they're going to make a deal. And what that deal is, I'm, I'm very very excited to find out to see if it happens. It has to be a home run, right? Like if you're moving a player that just scored 99 points. It's yep. got to be a bit of a home run of a deal. You got to get, uh, you know, probably a roster player right now, a big time prospect, and probably a first round pick on top of that. But the number for JT is going to be high, and that's why I think they end up going down that road in the next little while. You know, we, we've talked two, a lot. Two, two go, quick go things on that. Two quick things on that, Dan. Um, well, the, it, it's been a little obsessive on him because during the this last season, there was no chance in hell. They were trading JT Miller. The value didn't matter so much at the trade deadline. They weren't going to get the King's ransom that people thought they weren't. And the fans would have mutinied at the, at the way they were going with Bruce Boudreaux and the team and all that. It was absurd to even conceive of it. So his value has maybe grown, obviously, since that deadline with the way he finished the season and now into the summer. Um, but, you know, that those kind of two things are apples and oranges. We've been watching two different kind of things unfold here. And now it is a, it is a legitimate concern or for JT Miller. There's no question about it. Sorry to cut you off. No, it's all good. Uh, speculation has picked up on, on Tyler Myers. Um, I think what the team feels about Tyler Myers is somewhat different from how the fan base feels about him, Rob, as, as we've uh, seen through the years uh, that he's been yeah. here in Vancouver. But you know, it's it's clear that um, that the Canucks won't be like parting with Tyler Myers uh, for nothing. They they value the player. Yeah, and here's um, and, I'm, and I'm, I keep referencing this. Cause I'm I'm, a, I'm not a big fan of self promotion or plugs, but I just literally ten minutes before I came on with you did a story about the Vancouver Canucks five players most likely to be traded on Vancouver Hockey Now, and I did end up including Tyler Myers, who seems to be the hot ticket lately. And the point there, the, the kind of the count, the point counterpoint is the right side of your D is the most glaring weakness on your hockey team, right? So as much as fans would love this, they they wouldn't mind getting rid of them, some of them, and the six million dollar cap hit. The problem is, you suddenly are getting rid of a guy who minute munches 
at even strength. You get rid of a guy who minute munches on the penalty kill, and you're making your right side of the decor even shallower. Now, obviously, they'd be bringing something back, but uh, like one-on-one, what club's going to want to take a, a Tyler Myers and then give up a right shot defenseman in exchange and take mm-hmm. on the six million bucks? So there's there's a lot of that's a really dynamic play when you're dealing with a player who kind of represents the kind of the bulk work of, of your weakest spot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a tough that's a tough little situation with Tyler Myers. Yeah, I'm with you there on on it, Rob. I think the the organization's feeling not only as we want to get some sort of value, but they want to have some sort of a plan. Whether it is, I don't, I don't think you're right. It's not going to be in the Myers trade, but I think they want some sort of a plan to f- at least know they have an avenue to find a right hand defenseman if they're letting go of a right hand defenseman that plays 20 minutes a game. Right. And you guys, by the way, I don't know if you've had this gotten into this discussion. I remember bringing up Connor Brown's name a little while ago, former mm-hmm. Leaf now with Ottawa, and then I, I think I heard Colin White's name coming up, right, um, as well. So I mean, obviously two completely different players, but kind of in that range, cash wise and experience level wise, that um, Jimmy Rutherford's almost kind of made reference to. You know, he, he wants to build the team in a certain way at a certain age, and when it comes to spending money, he's not going to. He said clearly many times in the past, you pay a premium, you're paying top dollar when you go day one or day two. Talking about guys with a little bit of road under their belt or in their history, and then maybe picking them up a week into free agency or maybe making a deal for those types of players. So, I mean, you know, get, get us some, get us a right shot center. That'd be super nice. It probably and, would be positive. Yeah. <laughs> and get us a, uh, and just get us some help on the right side of the D. They, I mean, they need depth in a lot of places. But mm-hmm. um, hey, by the way, I have, a, I have a pretty cool Colin. You remember the old Colin White? Yes. This just popped into my head today. This is a fun little story, and I'll make it quick. So Colin White was six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. Big fella, and obviously big fella defenseman for the New Jersey Devils. And and I was in the rink that night, and Aaron Ward. I I saw something happen. It was in New Jersey. And Aaron Ward, the defenseman, was with the Bruins that year. It was 2007 and 8. Um, it was uh, actually 6-7. It was Chara's first year as captain. So White is on the bench. There's two weeks left in the season. He's chirping the Bruins about He's giving Mark Savard all kinds of you-know-what. And eventually, Chara gets so pissed off, he comes over to the bench, steps onto the Devils bench. Never, ever seen anything like this in my life, and I don't think anybody has stepped onto their bench, grabbed Colin White, 6'4", 220, by the collar, and lifted him up said, if you speak one more time, I'm going to take you out on the ice and beat the bleep out of you in front of your home fans. And he let go of the collar. Like, goes, you got it. <laughs> and he just said, that's it. And Aaron, Aaron Ward said he, like, it took him like four minutes to pick his jaw up off the ground because he was sitting at the end of the bench watching this at the end of the Bruins bench watching this happen. That's my favorite Colin White story of all time. And it, it involves the dreaded captain of the Boston Bruins, but I, I had to pass it along because it's a classic NHL moment that just that, that type of, you know, what doesn't happen. No, no doubt. Especially with how physical and tough, you know, Colin White was, I mean, for somebody to intimidate him, that, that says quite a bit, but I mean, if it would be someone, it would be a Zidane Ochara. Uh, yeah. but, but Rob, before we let you go on the Tanner Pearson front, you mentioned, you know, as far as guys that, that would be more expendable, 
he certainly is expendable on this roster. The question is, what type of market is there out there for him? For Tanner Pearson, I yeah. think the market is, it's. I mean, he's not crazy expensive. Um, is he 29 yet? Where are we at with... Uh, where are we at with... Uh, yeah, he's 29, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He is 20, yeah, he is 29. I mean, three, 3.25 is not crazy. And this is a guy who won a cup. I mean, you know, you bring up kind of a leadership element. It's, he kind of had a vanilla season. Um, he still works hard. I couldn't tell you details on his leadership qualities, but I'm, I'm assuming he's kind of one of those quiet type guys who tries to lead by example. I don't think at that price tag, if, if the, if the uh, Canucks really felt like they wanted to shed, that they would have that hard of time finding someone to take him. He, he has a little seven-team no-trade clause thing going on, but that's obviously not insurmountable. So, um, you know, he if, if it doesn't happen kind of coming up, Pearson's the perfect trade deadline guy. I know he'd have a year left on his contract, but he'd still be a, a nice – veteran kind of somebody to slot in at, at trade deadline potentially rob uh, appreciate the time as always thanks for this gentlemen always a pleasure thank you we'll uh, talk to you soon yeah there talk is from montreal yeah <laughs> have fun there is uh rob simpson vancouver hockey now and uh as you mentioned uh, this is list up of top five canucks players most likely to be traded uh we've discussed all of them and Pearson's name, obviously one we haven't discussed as much, sat, but one that is certainly on the radar. And again, another one you could probably get an asset for, given the way that he played this season. I felt he, at the very least, even the most pessimistic person has to think Tanner Pearson at least lived up to his contract dollar value for this season. Yeah, I mean, what, 34 points in 68 games, 14 goals, He's getting paid a league average salary, and he's yep. producing above league average. And had some of the best underlying numbers on the team. He did. You know, a strong two-way season. Yeah. Um, he he's a player that helps you. You know, like he, he's a guy who's a good third player on a top on a in a top nine role. He can give you something. And three point two five is not ridiculous as long as he gives you a baseline of forty points. As long as he gives you forty points, you know, fifteen twenty goals, you feel okay with it. Yeah. He's a guy that works harder along the boards, a guy whose game translate in the, translates well in the postseason for that type of role. So I can see people being interested in him. I, I just don't think you're getting a second-round pick or anything right now. Maybe at the deadline type of deal, yeah. that's when you know you can get something like that for him. I think he's a guy that somebody would take off your hands for a third or a fourth or something along those lines. Does Vancouver think that's worth it? There's a lot of uh, different things the Canucks can do to open up some cap space, but it's been a day where we're talking a lot of what should the Canucks be doing here? What should the next Bo Horvat contract look like? It's not an easy one to sign. And everything comes at this in a way of you've got to do what's best for the long-term health of this team set. Yeah. And they, they need future assets. They need to build out the depth of the organization and they've got to stop overpaying people in Vancouver. They've had too many of those. And that's why the conversation around Bo is so important right now. That's why potentially moving a Myers or Pearson is at the forefront of the conversation. This goes back to a little bit of what we talked about yesterday. It's really hard to do all of these things 
in this one offseason. It is. And you're not probably going to be able to solve everything. And that's why there are contingencies in place. Because if you look at the Canucks roster, it's already set for next season. Yep. The Canucks right now, all they need to do is figure out something for Uhold Lamico and uh, Matthew Highmore. And that's it, if they want to. And that's not going to be hard. Nope. Cheap. It's under a million. Pretty much. If they do that, they have eight defensemen already signed. They could bring back the team that was on a 105-point pace. Besser signed, backup goalie signed. Everyone signed. Everyone signed, and they've added Kuzmenko. Yeah. They could head into next season, and they have a little bit of cap space. So what the Canucks, one thing I think, I wouldn't say it's underrated, but I think it's a good thing they did. They got all their business done before the first week of the draft and free agency. So now all your internal, internal business is done. Besser was a big one. Rathbone was also an interesting one and an important one. You got that done. You have some security now. So Vancouver can really be patient here and wait things out. And I think that's really what they set themselves up to do. Uh, We've got a lot of uh, thoughts coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep getting more of those in and questions for the mailbag. Frank from Nanaimo, let's face it, fellows. This is a four-year rebuild. Colorado's going to win two more cups. Florida is in there. Edmonton has to get one. They will trade Brock as soon as he has a good year. You can't with him. win with him. He won't pay the price to win. They should get the same deal for Miller as Fiala or better. That's all they want. Bow stays. Myers is terrible. Create cap space. Frank from Nanaimo is just all over it. Four-year <laughs> rebuilds. Yeah. Um, that's definitely not it. You know, what, one of the things that I think is important in this conversation and it kind of goes to what you talked about with Myers and I think the turn that the team took at the, in the second half of last year sat. I don't think anybody wants to see a loser mentality in Vancouver anymore. No, no. And I think that's they don't want to take that step back. They want to set a culture of we're trying to win yeah, and we're trying to be competitive. But they're not trying to do it at all costs. They're not going to do so recklessly by paying guys ridiculous contracts at a long term or overspending on their own guys. They want to do it in a measured way. It's harder to do in a measured way, getting better, because the easiest thing to do is throwing money at people in free agency. That's why it happens a lot of the time. GMs get desperate. They want to make the team better. It's easy to pay a little bit more to get somebody. They don't want to do that. So they've been good in their discipline so far, especially with trades and holding on to guys and figuring stuff out. But you're also going to have to do something tangible here you know like hey the Besser deal they did the logical thing it made sense where where are you going to be finding your value now where are you going to be finding those hits you got to find some and I wonder if one became available today Rob Simpson mentioned it uh, in that hit there Colin White bought out by the Ottawa Senators they signed him to a big contract after he had a 40-point season a few years ago. Hasn't worked out. He's had a bunch of injuries. Development has definitely stalled in his mid-20s. Right shot center. Has proven, even though he's not been a penalty killer at the NHL level, has proven to play a solid two-way game with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, can't really look at the plus-minus of a team that's been in a heavy rebuild for the last number of years. So to those that were yelling at me today, please don't. Um <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, here. you know, it, it just doesn't. But isn't make sense. that kind of what 
Vancouver's looking for? A guy that could be a bit of a reclamation project that yeah. probably isn't going to cost too much and fills a need, which is a right shot center in the bottom six. Well, I mean, yeah, like you're not finding you're not miraculously finding somebody that's going to be above Pedersen or Bo Horvat on the on the depth chart. It's not going to happen. What you're going to have to do, and like we said, if you trade Miller, what you're going to have to do is piece together a little bit of the production. Yeah, and it does Kuzmenko. How much does Kuzmenko get? Let's say he gets 45 points. That still means you're out 54 from what yeah. Miller brought last year. How do you make up those points? Now, could you make that up with Besser being healthier, being better? Some of it, yes. Patterson? Yeah, Patterson. Potentially, yes. But you also have to take into consideration that everybody's going to be healthy all season. You know, so you can't just say, hey, everyone's going to be a little bit better. So where do you find the rest? Where do you find another 40, 50-point guy that can that can move the needle for you a little bit as a two-way guy, potentially? Yeah. You know, how much does put Coles and take a step? It's, it's asking too much if you're asking him to bring, you know, 50, 60 points next season. But, you know, what do you get out of him? That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to piece it together if you're trading Miller. Free agency is always a dangerous place to go and look for those players as well. But uh, it should be an interesting couple of days. As this hour has been a lot of what could happen with the current roster, the next hour is going to be a lot about the NHL entry draft. We're going to go through our top 15, the mock draft. What's going to happen in the first 15 picks? We'll end it off with the Canucks potential pick, and then we're going to go through the draft with Lauren Kelly, OHL scout and writer for EP Rinkside. That's coming up. Hour number two, Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.